All right, can we have the band back up, please? Can we have the band back up, please? We're going to sing Wake Again. You know, we stand, we gather this morning on the greatest day in history. We're going to celebrate today like crazy. We're going to sing the song Wake. You know, when the disciples arrived at that empty tomb, you know, you could just imagine the angels looking down and going, you didn't expect that one, did you? You didn't expect that one. And they were beginning to, it said that they came home with fear and joy. And uh, so all over the world right now, there are millions and millions and millions of children opening these, wondering if anything's inside. And today I want to deliver an egg, an Easter egg, because sometimes you open these, you may find buttons, other times it's empty. But Jesus delivered an Easter egg with seven explosive blessings inside that egg. But first and foremost, we're going to lift up the name and celebrate Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let's stand together and, and sing wake together. In fact, why don't you applaud the Lord Jesus first and just... Excellent. Let's take our seats. The disciples in that moment by the empty tomb knew things would never, ever be the same again. Isaiah, the prophet, put it this way. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs forth. Do not perceive it. I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Today, we celebrate that great, great new day. Easter all around the world is celebrated as people understand that life, history, heaven and earth was never, ever the same again. You know, I've been asking people for the last month, how many times did Jesus shed his blood for you and for me? And the answers went from one to two. The highest I got was seven. With four, actually. But I want to look at, sorry, I want to look today at the seven occasions Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. Because as Jesus went to the garden in excruciating pain, the word excruciating is a similar root to the word crucifixion. He's facing a crucifixion. He's in excruciating pain. But he didn't just go to the garden because there was somewhere to go. There is something powerful and supernatural about everything Jesus said and everything he did. And I want to show that every single time Jesus spilled his blood, he broke a curse and he released a blessing that was robbed from us in the Garden of Eden. And it says here, you know, in Leviticus, when they wanted to cleanse the temple, they took the blood of the goat and they dipped their fingers in it and they cleansed the temple seven times. That's not just a random number. That's an indication of how God is going to do things. You and I are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit now. And seven times God cleanses us. We know if we start our journey, Easter journey, at the moment when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, it said he was accustomed and his disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you don't get into any temptation. And he was, drawn, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. And he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Then, you get this? An angel appears from heaven and strengthens him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground from his brow. When he rose from that prayer, he had come, he had come to his disciples and he found them sleeping exhausted with sorrow. Anybody here ever been exhausted with sorrow before? So we're going to have a look at the very first occasion where God, Jesus spills his blood and reverses the curse. But first in 1 Peter 1.18 it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus' blood was shed to rescue you and me from an empty egg. It says there was an empty way of life passed down from your ancestors. That goes all the way back to the garden. An empty life was passed down. But with the precious blood of Christ, that was redeemed. The word redeemed means to restore to its original condition. So the blood of Jesus was spilled to remove the curse that took place in the garden and bring back the blessings that was robbed from you and me in the garden. Are we with that so far, guys? Does that make sense so far? There's a lot to get through, and I'm going to try fire and hand it, fire, fire through this. Okay, Jesus, Jesus came to reverse the curse. The curse you all know about in Genesis 3, where it said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you eat from it all the days of your life. And as a result of the curse, here's what came. Thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken for dust, and to dust you will return. It is no coincidence that the very first time Jesus reverses this curse was in a garden. Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus says these words or, or Luke twenty-two, forty-two puts it this way Father it's your will take this cup from me nevertheless this is not just a random this is like a powerful curse reversal going on here he says therefore not my will but yours be done 
And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. The first sign of the curse in Adam's life was the sweat on his brow and the toiling of the land in, in the garden. And Jesus goes back to the garden, and he reverses that curse with the blood on his brow. He shed, he paid the price for the sin that was committed on that day. And he says these words, because when Adam made that decision, he's basically saying, not your will, but mine be done. That's how the curse came about. Jesus reverses that with these powerful words. And when he did that, he broke the curse and he gave back to mankind something that was lost in the garden. We'll call it willpower. Talk to anybody that's struggling with an addiction or a fear or anxiety or they want to improve their life or anything. And time and time and time again, almost every time they'll say, I'm doing all right or I did all right for so long, but I ran out of willpower. And it was robbed of the garden and it was restored because when Jesus said the words, it was a prophecy, not my will, but yours be done. He was restoring the gift of willpower to mankind that he lost, purchased by the sweat on the brow of the Savior himself. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ for that. The next time we're going to look where he shed his blood was at the whipping post. Isaiah 53 says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, that's the lashings on his back, by those we were healed. His back bled to reverse the curse of sickness. And the sickness that entered the earth as the result of the fall. All sickness... All sickness can be reversed by reaching out. The saints, of old used, the saints of old used to use a term, plead the blood, brother. Plead the blood, brother. In other words, pleading or, or applying what the blood purchased. And um, I'm going to be unfolding them a whole lot more over the weeks to come and giving a lot more biblical basis. But it's Easter, so we're flying through these guys. But the second thing God gave to us was the gift of healing. Hence, he says, when you lay hands on the sick, they shall be healed. The third, the third gift that God gave to man and he purchased with his shed blood was the gift of prosperity. Now, I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm talking about what God's intention was from the beginning. It says, Matthew 20, 27, 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and they gathered around him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, bleeding for the third time, when they, when they put that thorns of blood, when they put those thorns upon his head and a reed in his right hand, blood shed with those thorns reversed the curse of the thorns and the thistles that came about in the garden.
then let's upload the Lord Jesus Christ for that. It's not just random. It's not just a, let's, let's, let's get any old thing to hurt Jesus. It was a, before the fall, they, they, they were in a land flowing like milk and honey. They lived under the blessing of God. All these things were great blessing. They prospered. But Jesus, Jesus broke that curse. That curse where they had to work with the sweat of their brow and the land was like thorns and thistles. And Jesus released that gift. And you get a little glimpse of it. You get a little glimpse of it in different prophets' lives down through the centuries. But at Easter, Jesus broke that curse of poverty and lack and thorns and thistles where man has to work with the sweat of his brow to get anywhere. Jesus broke that curse there and then. The fourth time we see, the, the fourth time we want to look at the shedding of Jesus' blood, when he was pierced in his hands or his wrists, depending what version you read. Jesus was pierced here because in Genesis 39.3 it says, Now the master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord had caused all he did to prosper in his hand. It's Joseph, but this is what it was like before the fall. God, before the fall, would cause everything to prosper in your hand. And at Easter time, God broke that curse. When he took those nails, he reversed the curse that has come on mankind. How many people, how many times you heard somebody, you know that person up the street, and you go, do you know what? Everything they touch turns to gold. <laughs> and you're annoyed at them. And the reason we're annoyed is not because that's true, it's because the things that we touch don't always work out. But before the fall, it was not like that. Before the fall, there was a blessing on the life of Adam and Eve. And what they touched was the same as what, uh, same as what Joseph touched. That the Lord called everything in their hands to prosper. In Genesis 1.27, it says, God made man in his image. And he blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the earth, and over every living thing. God placed all authority into the hands of Adam. And even what they touched prospered. The fall robbed them from that. But when Jesus took that pain in those nails, Jesus redeemed every single thing that was lost to mankind through the shedding of his precious blood. Can we say amen? Fifth time, we're firing through this, guys. The fifth time was when Jesus took those nails in his feet. In Deuteronomy 11, in Deuteronomy 11, there was the promise that says, verse 24, every place you set your feet will be yours. Your territory will end, extend to the Lebanon, the Rephetes River, the Western Sea. No man will be able to stand against you. Before the fall, 
Adam and Eve, wherever they placed their feet, was theirs. There was blessing on it. Wouldn't it be great if you could go about your business anywhere and wherever you put your foot, you knew that blessing has been restored to you. That that curse has been broken because of the blood Jesus shed with those nails in his feet. As little boys, well, our kids, we used to take them to the shadows of Ben Lawyers up there by Kenmore. I stood there on Wednesday afternoon in the same shadows in 120 acres of the most beautiful land in Scotland surrounded by mountains. And a 25-year-old young man that I've been discipling looked me in the eyes and said, this is yours, by the way. And I said, how do you work that out? He says, I bought, he said, I, we bought this as a kingdom center to advance the gospel and equip people from all over the world. It's been used as a new age bunkhouse, a new age thing. I didn't know 40 years ago when we stood on that ground, the day will come. He looked me in the eyeballs and he said, because you're in my team and I'm in your team, we own this. Literally where you placed your foot, more than 40, I'm saying 40, it must be 55 years here since you were a rascal. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on. The dominion, dominion. It don't mean you're going to own everywhere you put your feet. It don't mean that. But there was a dominion, authority, and power given to Adam and Eve and what they touched and where they went. They expected blessing and blessing showed up. It was lost. But Jesus restored that to you and me. And we don't need to go, oh, where am I going to go next? Or how is this going to work? Or what's going to happen at this interview? Or what's going to happen next? You can put your foot forward with a confidence and the blood of Jesus has redeemed every single thing that was robbed from you and me at the Garden of Eden through the curse. The sixth thing, very quickly. In John 19, it says, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately water came running out. When you study that, the water and the blood, I believe, it was coming from the side and from the heart. And, uh, you know, the Word of God says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. The heart of Jesus was broken. The blood spilled from his heart and side was to release a tremendous healing and blessing from the broken heart. And when God touches a broken heart, something that was robbed from you returns. It's called joy. In Psalm 51, when David's heart was broken, David had badly fallen off the wagon, and he lost one major, he lost many things, but the major thing he lost that he cried out for because of a broken heart as a result of his own sin this is what he asked God for above everything else, above all family and resources. He said, restore to me, please, the joy of my salvation. And when Jesus' heart was broken and bled, a curse was broken and healing of the heart and a joy gift was released back to every believer on the earth that would reach out and plead the blood of Jesus. Last one. Here it goes. 
the final bleeding of Jesus was the one that happens in human beings every day, but you don't see it because it's internal bleeding. It's called bruises. And Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. Jesus, once and for all, broke the curse of every inner pain and inner suffering a human being suffer from as a result of the fall. And you could come to Jesus and acknowledge even today that he was bruised. Yes, for your transgressions. So if you come to him in total repentance, aiming to live a holy life, asking forgiveness, the pains and the suffering of rejection and betrayal, those are the ones you don't see in people. You go to A&E, A&E, nine times out of ten, the, the suffering is obvious. But the vast majority of people don't suffer from blood coming out. They suffer from blood going in. It's called bruises. They're too embarrassed to tell you about that betrayal. They're too embarrassed to tell you about that failure. They're too embarrassed to tell you about that addiction. They're too embarrassed to tell you about that inner pain and that inner suffering. But Jesus' blood was spilled internally so that this curse that some people live and die with can be broken. Not a day in the last month, hardly a day in this month, have I not met somebody who's bleeding inside like crazy. But it's never God's intention. I don't believe for a second that Jesus went to this so that you and I would be robbed of anything that robs our joy of our salvation, whether it be inner pain, external pain, pain tomorrow, pain yesterday, pain on the left, pain on the side. I believe when Jesus prayed that, that price and he redeemed, it was to restore us back to the joy. The hippies almost had it in the 60s when they painted flowers on their faces. We used to say, why are you painting? You know, in Scotland, you went down there, like, and then all of a sudden, all these people appear with flowers at the festival. And I said, why are you painting flowers on your face? Well, we're going back to the garden, brother. We're going back to the garden. They weren't far away, by the way. It's crazy. The search that was in them was to get back to what had been lost. And Easter made sure 110% that it's available to you and me through the purchase of the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, let's give him a applause for that. <laughs> Woo! So we're bringing this to a close in a few minutes. He was... Walking into the cafe this morning, and David Cochran proudly showed me his tie. Beautiful tie with little crosses over it with the three words on it, it is finished. It's interesting that the Greeks don't have such a phrase, it is finished. They only have one, which I think works better in Glasgow. It just has this one word, finished. 
My mother's from Glasgow, and when she said, finished, you knew that was it. You'd pushed her far enough. Once more, and the game's over. I like that, don't you? I like it, it's finished, but I also like finished. In other words, it's finished. In other words, it's no one, two, three. You know when your kids are small and you count to three. Some houses we were in, they must have counted to three 43 times, and they're still not giving them a scalp. It's too late now, you're not allowed to give them a scalp. But here's the thing. We stood here just at the waters of baptism days ago. One little girl went to mom and dad that night and testified. Tonight, for the first time in my life, I can sleep with no bad people under the bed. That's as powerful of a testimony of the supernatural deliverance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism I've ever heard. They didn't know there was any bad people. They didn't know this little soul. And you know, you could go through your whole life and nobody knows you got somebody under your bed. Nobody knows you're bleeding inside. Nobody knows. But the whole point of Easter is this. Jesus knows. And you can leave this place today without a single curse under your bed anymore. A single fear. A single... When I was in Dublin, uh, I was about to minister to a couple of hundred Irish people for the weekend. The pastor took me aside. He said, I want to give you some instruction. You're going to talk about the cross. But go easy, please. Would you go easy? Well, my natural reaction was, you know, put his windies out or something. But it was like, it was like, I said, well, please explain something to me. He says, well, you know, the people down here are from amazing, you know, the godly, godly, godly people. The Catholics too, you know, many of them. He says, but they've lived with such sin consciousness, such wrath consciousness, such suffering. They think nothing of themselves. They hate themselves. And they live in the wrong kind of fear of the living God and know nothing about the Father's love. How many, we're talking Catholics now, but do you know how many prodies are like that? Do you know how many people are like that? They sing the songs, they do it, but they live gripped, gripped. They sing the songs, they believe it, but they live gripped. They have no trust in a loving father. They don't know a loving father. And they live night and day with this fear. Something's under the bed. Something's under my life. There's a skeleton and somebody's going to find me out. But the great news of Easter is this. That God arranged for an earthquake just in case they didn't get the message. In Matthew 28, it says, Behold, there was an earthquake. He, he didn't want nobody to miss this. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he rolled the stone away, and he sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, because he became like dead men. And the angel arts and the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. For I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he is risen. As he has said, come and see where the Lord lay. Can we stand for a moment in the presence of the Lord? 
How many people know? How many people would agree that Jesus purchased salvation for you and me at the cross? Come on. How many people believe that? How many people believe that he became a curse? He became, Galatians 3.13, I'll read it accurately to you. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse. For it is written, cursed is the one who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became that curse to break every single curse. I'd like to pray. Feel free to join me in this prayer if you wish. And every single thing that you're struggling with, whether it be a willpower issue, a healing issue, a favor issue, we're going to apply the blood of Jesus like the saints of old did day in and day out. I used to love and I used to meet the little, the little um, African grandmothers who come, plead the blood, brother, plead the blood. I thought, what on earth are they talking about? Plead the blood, brother. They understood that in terms of fully understanding the blood of Jesus and what he paid for us, at 62 years of age, I think I've barely scratched the surface of the explosive power, the explosive revelation, and the explosive blessing that Jesus has purchased for you and me. The simplest way I can put it is his intention is to return us to what was there before the fall. Let's pray this prayer together, brothers and sisters, if you're up for it. And as we do, let's believe for a tremendous breakthrough in your life and in your future, in your marriages to come and the marriages that have been. Father God, I would just pray this prayer. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Cleanse us from every single sin. Cause us to walk in holiness. Break every single generational curse over our lives. I plead the blood of Jesus over every single one of those seven areas of my life. Holy Spirit, in this moment, release a seven-fold blessing that was purchased for me by the blood of Jesus Christ. And with every eye closed, keep your eyes closed, guys, just, every, just for the sake of anyone that really wants privacy. With every eye closed, the Holy Spirit is breaking curses all over the room. That little girl went into the waters of baptism. She didn't ask for the curse to be broken. If it's not a curse that keeps a little, beautiful, gentle little girl awake night after night after night after night with a false impression of bad people, I don't know what a curse is. But without asking, talking, thinking, Jesus shows up and breaks that curse. And he's breaking curses all over this room. Some of you, you're struggling in finance, you're struggling in health, you're struggling in your mind, you're struggling in anxiety, you're struggling in fear, you're struggling in the workplace. But you, you can walk from this place today knowing the Holy Spirit 
has touched your life. God's broken every curse. And from here on, everything you say, everything you touch, everything, everywhere you put your foot, in Jesus' name, expect the favor and the river of God to flow in your life and touch whatever you touch and walk wherever you walk. Live your life, not post-curse, but post the cross in the full joy and the full blessing of every single thing Jesus accomplished for you at the cross by his precious, precious, precious spilled blood. In Jesus' name. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ, guys. Oh, wow. Can the band come back up? Did you enjoy that sermon this morning? Come on.